You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo with Andy Barrar here in studio. Got lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, car technology with uh, Ford and Intel in a little while. Lots of other stuff happening this week. We've uh, got a new BlackBerry in the wild. And uh, iPhones apparently bending. Bendgate. Bendgate. <laughs> I've been I've been watching this, following this past week. So Apple has launched their new iPhone six and six plus, beautiful phones, like gorgeous. I had you know the opportunity for the past several days to actually be using uh, the big one, the six plus, and apparently some people and I, I I'm still struggling as to how they're actually bending the phone. Well. It all started with somebody who was at a wedding, yeah. and he had the 6 Plus in his pocket, and he said he had it in his pocket for about 18 hours a, that day, came home, and he noticed that it, it had a slight bend to it. Then someone else, was a YouTube Canadian blogger, who posted a video of him bending the 6 Plus, and then it was on social media, this video was spreading, and then all the big news outlets were taking it, and it became a huge story on Wednesday. The 6 Plus is 7.1 millimeters thick right where the volume rocker is mike is its thinnest point and so basically that's where it's going to bend and it has about a three degree bend if you can do it i see that you have the six plus in your hand right now yeah. i dare you to try to bend i'm not gonna that. bend this like what idiot it's gonna bend this it's for research mike for... <laughs> we have to solve this i know but you know a lot of these big phones now uh and samsung and others they have um, these smartphones now that have like five and a half inch screens and, and larger, like they all have the same issue. If you if you stick that thing in your pocket, there's probably a good chance it's going to. Be, it's, you know, it's, it's basic physics when you think about it. Something yeah. that thin, if you put enough pressure, it will bend. Personally, I think it was overblown. Yeah. The the iPhone five bent. They had like they were doing tests when it came out and it bent. It didn't make the news. It didn't make front headlines. I, know, I can bend anything. You know what it is? It's just. Everyone puts Apple on a different standard than everyone else. Yeah. And so that shouldn't be an issue. What was an issue was the update to iOS 8. That was, that was the bigger story. But Bengate pretty much took it over because it's so more visual to see. I saw this other uh, thing. Um, I think it was on Mashable or YouTube. Um, just making fun of the whole Bengate thing. Um, Hammergate. They called it. Hammergate. <laughs> the iPhone 6 uh, was not very good standing up to a hammer. Yes. Well, but, it, I mean, that's, you know, when you've got something this big and it's obviously a very valuable piece of technology, I mean, you've got to look after it properly. Well, let me ask you this. You yeah. went from the iPhone 5S yep. to the 6 Plus here. What do, you, what do you think? Is it a big jump? Are you... It, it is... Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I actually... Um, this morning, um, held up an iPhone 5S to this thing. It is like a crazy jump in size. Yes, I I love the screen size. Like it is amazing for like uh, web surfing or messaging. You know, doing emails. It's it's like a whole other level. But it's I'm still getting used to it. It is large. Like if I have to take a phone call on this thing, my arm gets tired after of <laughs> holding it up to my my ear. Um, but and you know, where do I carry as well? Like you don't want to carry this thing in your front pocket all the time because no. it's so big. Yeah. So you know, that's it, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah, it'll it'll 
take a little getting used to. It, it's funny though, Mike, about two years ago when the whole phablets came onto the market, I thought it was ridiculous. I'm like, there's nobody is going to buy a phone this big. Yeah. And then I remember Deloitte had these predictions, technology predictions, and they were predicting that phablets were going to one day outsell normal smartphone sizes. Yeah. And I thought that was crazy. And sure enough, I was wrong. It, phablets are taking over, and it's really that people want that hybrid between a phone and a tablet on them at all times. The whole issue, though, is how do you carry it? Well, that's the thing. Um, obviously, jack, even my jacket yeah. that I, I uh, took on my trip, the pocket wasn't big enough <laughs> for the phone. <laughs> so, But I, I love it. It's a beautiful screen, and you can just do so much with it. Well, I so. hope uh, fashion designers take notice and start designing clothes. Well, I'm to, sure they're already doing that. I, I would imagine so, yes, because it is it is a considerable big size. And like you said, in your front pocket, it's going to be really tough to, to hold that all day. But, you know, the 6 or the 6 Plus, beautiful phone. There's no question. If uh, you've been waiting to upgrade, um, I'd recommend it. I like, hope you didn't update the uh, iOS, though. No, not yet. Okay, that's good. I guess there were a few issues with the 8. Well, they are 8.1. Yeah. And what happened basically is people were losing cellular reception yeah. and the touch ID was not working. So this is the probably the first time I've ever seen Apple put an update out and then take it away and then show people how to revert back. So they jumped the gun. It's funny because the whole the point of the update was to fix bugs. Yeah. But they created massive bugs by trying to roll yeah, it out. Yeah, apparently um, it affected about 40,000 users, which is a lot. But when you look at how many people have iPhones in the tens of millions. It's actually a fraction. And I think that's one of the lessons is when these updates come, you should probably wait a day or two because it was those early adopters that, that updated it right away. And then they were the ones that had all the problems. But they're also the ones that are most vocal on social media, which is what created this huge storm on Wednesday, both Bengate and the, the flawed update at the same time. So BlackBerry has also launched a new phone. The Passport. Have you seen this thing? Uh, I haven't seen it in, in person, but I've seen pictures of it, yes. The Square. It's four and a half inch screen. It's about the shape and size of a Passport. Um, different form factor, though. It's squared as opposed to being rectangular. So I don't know if that's going to resonate with uh, the consumers out there, but they're really trying to head with the enterprise and try to get back into that space. The... The QWERTY keyboard has three rows as opposed to the full-size QWERTY keyboard. So some of the other characters are touch-enabled, so like the numbers or if you want shift, alt. Those things you would actually have to use the touchscreen for. But um, you can get about 60 characters per line on, on the Passport mic. Yeah. And typical print is 69. So it's going to actually be a great device for reading, for creating spreadsheets, emails. But the question is, will people buy it? Apparently, like... I think it was 200,000 people have pre-ordered it already. But that's a, a sharp contrast to the 4 million pre-orders for the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. So BlackBerry basically says they need to sell 10 million smartphones to break even this year. Do you Apple, think Apple did that in one week. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they can do it, though? Like, do people, I'm, it's an interesting-looking phone. Um, is it gimmicky? Do people care anymore? I just think it's not cool to have a BlackBerry. Back in the day, it was. Back in 2008, I don't know if you know this, one out of every five phones was a BlackBerry. Yeah. Six years later, today, less than 1% market share. So they have a big uphill climb. It's funny how technology can just change. You can be hot 
you could be hot one day and then not the next. Like it's, the palm, it's like the Palm Pilot. Exactly. Yeah. Case in point. I remember when BlackBerry was trying to buy an NHL team, and that's all you hear yeah. about BlackBerry was, we want to buy a team. We want to buy. They should have been doing some R&D because now look where they are. They, they couldn't even afford a team. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we will uh, be talking with the folks over at Ford about future car technology. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo with Andy Brar here. We're broadcasting live across Canada on the Chorus Radio Network. You can also listen to us live online at cknw.com or our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Or listen to uh, previous shows up on SoundCloud. Just have to search Get Connected, all one word on SoundCloud, and you can get all of our past shows as well. Well, technology is uh, continuing to seep into everything, including cars. On the line uh, right now, we've got Jeff Greenberg. He's a senior technical leader over at Ford Research. Thanks for coming on the show today, Jeff. Oh, it's my pleasure. Wanted to get you on there. You've... uh, you guys are doing some interesting uh, stuff uh, as far as uh, in-car technology and uh, a new uh, a new thing that's actually monitoring people's faces as they're driving. Yeah, so Ford Lab, Ford Research Lab, and Intel Research Lab teamed up um, over the last year to do a project that we call Moby um, to try to understand what would happen if we took cameras which many cars have right now that are sort of pointed at the road. So they look at road stripes and they help a car stay um, within its lanes if you have something that's called a lane-keeping aid feature on your car. And I thought, was, well, what if we took the camera and we pointed it inward um, into the cabin? What kind of cool things could we do? And so we worked together to develop a, a couple of interesting applications, and we built a car that we named Moby to, to see what we could do with it. And so this isn't for taking selfies. <laughs> no, you can do that, but that really wasn't the purpose of it. Um, although there are some fun things you can that you can do, but one of the things that was really intriguing to us about it was that if we turn the camera inward, the car could actually recognize you when you get in the car. So as soon as you get in the vehicle, it could know um, who you are, and more importantly, it could know that you're authorized to drive that car. So, Jeff, if I understand this correctly, basically you can get personalization based upon your face. So if I have certain radio presets I like or maybe I want the seat a certain way, by virtue of the car recognizing my face, will it set that all up inside the car? Yeah, absolutely. And it does it without your having to do anything else, right? So you don't have to bring a special key fob into the car or press any buttons. It just recognizes who you are. And that may seem like a small little addition, but it enables some really interesting things that we can do. One of the things that it enables that turns out to be really interesting to parents is it can tell whether or not it's your child that's driving the car or maybe someone else who isn't necessarily authorized to do that. So if uh, Andy gets into my car and I don't want him driving, I can have it uh, kick him out? (laughs) <laughs> well, what, what Moby actually does is, is it takes a picture yeah. uh, and it sends it to uh, the cell phone of, let's say, the parent uh, who uh, is in charge of the vehicle. And then that person can look at it and either say, you know, there's a, there's a problem and I don't want this person driving the car or say, oh, yeah, that's fine. So, Jeff, does the vehicle have to be connected to the Internet for all this to happen? 
for some of it to happen, right? So for things like sending like sending the uh, the picture to a remote location, obviously the the vehicle does need to be connected in order to be able to reach someone's cell phone. But just for recognizing who you are, it doesn't need to be connected. And there are other sort of interesting things it can do too. It can, for example, determine whether or not you are looking at the road or maybe you're looking down um, at you know at your radio or you know, have it help you if you're looking down at your cell phone while you're driving. And if, and if it is, it can determine that you're not looking at the road. And it might do something like make a, a forward collision warning system that tries to keep you from bumping into another car a little bit more aggressive to give you a little bit more time to react. That could actually uh, save lives in many cases. It could. And, and so there are really intriguing things that, that come about from this. You can also do some things with a combination of gestures and speech. So one of the things that we ex- that we explored was something that we called point and say. So, you know, a lot of people now have speech systems in their cars, and if you've used them, they're great when they work, but sometimes they get confused. They're just not as good as human beings at understanding what you say. Um, so we thought, well, what if we could simplify things, right? So, for example, what if you could just point at the thing that you wanted to control and then, and then say a command. So you might, for example, you know, point at your, um, you might point at the register on your car and just say warmer to make the car warmer. And that makes the voice system really easy and the pointing gesture is also really simple and doesn't require a lot of learning. So that was a neat little thing that we, uh, that we discovered that was kind of fun that we could use with the cameras. And that doesn't require internet connection either. Now, Jeff, somebody out there I know is, is thinking this is a really cool technology, but they're probably concerned about privacy. What do you have to respond to that? Well, we think they're absolutely right. And, in fact, that was also one of the main reasons that we wanted to build this car and do this project. When we have talked with customers about this um, and described features, they would say, oh, that's interesting. But then they'd say, oh, a camera pointing at me in the car, you know, that doesn't really sound very appealing. And so we really wanted to explore what's the value proposition, right? Can we offer features that are compelling enough that people would say, yeah, that's worth it? Um, Or would they just say, you know, it's nice that you can do that, but don't put that in my car. So it was really important for us to actually build this and try it out with people and understand, you know, what, what things do they really value and do they really want? Would you want a camera in your car, Andy? Um. As long as law enforcement didn't have access to it, <laughs> maybe. But that would be interesting, though. Like, like he was saying, for, for distracted driving, I think yeah. this is fabulous. Because if you're a parent yeah. and you're giving your vehicle to your son or daughter and they're texting, you can actually get that notification because the, it's, the camera's watching their eyes. Yeah. And they'll know if they're looking down. And that kind of data would be very helpful for, for parents to, to decide whether they should give the keys to, uh, for their vehicle to their to their uh, teenage children. Is this going to be expensive, Jeff, to implement into cars? Well, you know, this was a research project, so we really didn't go into sort of, you know, what the ultimate cost would be. But if you really look today, every cell phone in your pocket has a camera. So camera technology itself is not particularly expensive. Making it work, you know, in all conditions that a car has to work, whether it's 20 degrees below zero or 100 degrees inside your car, that's a bit of a challenge. But I would say that, you know, this is not particularly expensive technology. It's really just finding what's the right way uh, to use it so that it respects people's privacy and then offers them the kind of, you know, features and value that they want. You know, this is really cool technology. Like, you're obviously researching cutting-edge stuff. How long does it take for this kind of tech to get into the cars? 
So it depends on the technology, right? So this is the kind of technology where, you know, I would really say the issues are more social than technical. We know how to do this. What, what we really need to understand better is what people want. And where is that line between privacy and the vehicle as a private space and some of the features that we can offer? So doing a project like Moby, building a vehicle like this, getting it in the hands of, of customers and having them tell us what's good about it, what are they concerned about, is really the way that we can find out how we want to take this. Jeff, I uh, want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Fascinating stuff. Is there a place people can find more information about this? Uh, well, you can go to the uh, to the Ford website, um, www.ford.com. And uh, I don't have the Intel website handy, but I'm sure that your, your listeners can find that as well. Thanks again for joining us, Jeff. All right. My pleasure. That was Jeff Greenberg, Senior Technical Leader for Vehicle and Enterprise Sciences for Ford Research. You know, Mike, if I could get reduced insurance premiums by having this installed, I definitely would do it. Because and, and the selfies will be amazing. The right? selfies would be pure, it's like, hey, look at me. I'm on taking a road trip. What's the prize this week, Andy? We got a fabulous prize. This one's going to be for our Android users out there. We're giving away the SanDisk Ultra USB drive. This is a little USB drive that works with your Android smartphone. You can move photos, video, and other types of content from your phone to this drive and then back to your computer or, and you know simultaneously with this little tiny piece of tech. It only works for Android phones, so if you do have one, you'll definitely want to enter. Go to our website, www.getconnectedmedia.com and hit on the contest tab to enter and win the SanDisk Ultra USB drive. What I'm going to do now is uh, open up the phone lines. Uh, we'll take your calls when we come back from the break. Open line here on Get Connected. So uh, any tech issues you're having, we'll be your on-air tech support, or if you need some buying advice, we can help you out with that as well. The number is 604-280-9898. If you're uh, anywhere else in Canada, phoning long distance, the toll-free line, 1-877-399-9898. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. When we come back, your calls. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Mike and Andy back for Get Connected here. We've opened up the phone lines, taking your tech calls and questions, 604 280 9898. Anywhere else in Canada, 1877. Let me try that again. 1877 399 Going to jump here to Scott in Vancouver. Hey, Scott. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. No worries. Um, I've got a Windows 7 machine running either IE 11 or 12. I'm not sure which, but anyway, it won't load pages properly. I get error messages. I went in to try to do internet options to do a, some sort of a reset, yeah. and that is, that is grayed out as a menu option. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Um, have, have you tried other browsers? Oh, I use other browsers, yeah. I just like to get IE up because I'm thinking of selling my, my machine anyway. I've moved to a Mac. Yeah. I just sort of like, it's been sort of sitting on the shelf like this for about a year, and I thought, well, maybe I'll take another whack at it. Yeah. And uh, I did a reinstall. That didn't solve anything either, reinstalling of IE. Yeah. And what version are you running? The latest? Do you know? I don't. I don't know. Uh, it's. it's uh, I've got a pretty old version of Windows Seven, so I may have some. I think I probably had compatibility issues when I tried updating to the flavor of Win of uh, IE that I have. But as I said, it's either eleven or twelve. I think. Okay. I don't know how current that is. But. Any thoughts, Andy? You know, I've. Uh... I stopped using Internet Explorer a long time ago. I was having so many issues with it. I noticed that it was slower than the other browsers out there. So yeah. I pretty much just moved away from it entirely. 
Um, definitely try Chrome. Chrome is probably one of the fastest browsers. Firefox is, is pretty close up there too. Yeah. It's funny, Firefox looks a lot like Chrome these days. Yeah, more <laughs> and, and more so. Yeah, so... But um, yeah, it looks like he wants to get Internet Explorer working there. Uh, he can't restore it for some reason. Um, and he's tried reinstalling it as well. I don't have any quick answers there, Scott. If any of the listeners out there have run into this before, uh, would love to hear from you as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I just don't use that one. Anymore. Exactly, and you can try to check within Internet Explorer if there are updates available on there. I don't know how, I, it's been a long time since I used it. I think the last time I used Internet Explorer was Internet Explorer 8. Yeah. So I've, uh, I've missed a couple of versions since then. Anyway, if uh, any listeners have run into that issue as well and have come up with a solution, we'd uh, love to hear from you. Going to jump here to Bill in Surrey. Hey, Bill. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Here's my uh, brief outline situation. I've uh, had a computer since 2003 when I started doing my digital camera pictures. I uh, got a. Uh, I still have that hard drive installed into a computer. I ran out of room. I had to get another hard drive. So my original hard drive is my E drive. I got a C drive, which is full. I've got a plugged-in USB, two terabytes, two separate devices. Um, you know, I've started loaded programs onto these backup devices, the terabyte plug-in things. Yeah. Nothing works. Is there like a – I need to start over and not lose my stuff. Is there a strategy? Is there some kind of outline for a typical guy like me who's done everything hodgepodge and he's looking to – to get organized and restart in laying things out and backing up properly. Yeah, no, you've uh, brought up uh, a really important issue. Um, I, I would say most people don't back up their stuff properly to begin with, so it's good that you're actually thinking about it, Pill. Um, but uh, you're kind of on the right track. Uh, you know, obviously you've got all your uh, your data on your hard drives inside the uh, computer. Uh, you know, I always recommend kind of a two-tier backup, one, an, an external USB hard drive, uh, and typically those, uh, those hard drives come with backup software that you can automate the backup process. Like at 2 in the morning, it'll automatically back up all your, yeah. your stuff. Uh, and I'd also look at uh, a cloud backup storage as well. Yeah, so my philosophy about computers these days is that you don't want to store all your data on those hard drives. Look at your computer as like a terminal rather than as a storage device. One thing you could look into and something that I've, I've just moved to um, as well is what's called a, a NAS, a network attached storage. And these are basically just like mini servers for your home. And what's great about it is you can do a, how Mike was saying, automatic backup. So you have two hard drives and one is just making a replication of the other, or you can just use both hard drives to store your data. And what's the great part of these, these new uh, NASs that are coming out is that you can actually get um, flexibility about accessing it when you're remotely somewhere else. So it's, think of it like your own Dropbox or your own cloud that's hanging over your house. So you can have that ability to stream movies that you have sitting on your, on your hard drive at home, maybe at work or while you're commuting or you're at your friend's house. That's the way to do it. So you, you use your computer as a terminal and you automatically move that data onto an external hard drive that's separate, could be connected to your router, and it gives you that mobile flexibility wherever you are. So it's like you build your own cloud. And that's one of the themes that I think is going to take off in the next year as more people are, are using cloud storages, but they want to be able to control all their data in one place. Yeah, I'd also recommend um, looking at some of these cloud backup services yes. as well, uh, like a Carbonite is, is one. Uh, there's a number of them out there, uh, and you know they range in price depending how much stuff you're, you're backing up. But the cool thing about those is that uh, once you set them up, 
uh, they're just automatically backing up your stuff uh, in the background, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you want it to, essentially. And the nice thing is, like, if anything happens to your computer, your external hard drives, or your network-attached storage drives, um, at least the cloud storage is off your premise. Like, if your house burns down or someone steals all your stuff, you still have all that data up in the cloud. And, you know, a lot of people worry about security, but most of these um, cloud backup services are, are pretty secure. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Especially when you're paying for it, you're going to get that security protection um, as an added benefit in the service. Yeah, and those services, uh, you know, they range in price. Uh, you know, anywhere from uh, you know ten to twenty bucks uh, a month, uh, essentially. I think Amazon has the cheapest cloud service protection out there right now. But uh, again, uh, kind of a two-step process there. You know, have some sort of external backup. Uh, to your point, Andy, uh, and then I would also look at the cloud uh, backup service as well. And once you get those things set up, uh, you know they'll automatically back up your stuff and you should be good. And they're scalable as well. So if you do need more more room, you can always buy more. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls. Again, the phone number is 604-280-9898. If you're phoning long distance, 1-877-399-9898. We'll also uh, be talking about shell shock. A new, uh, I guess, uh, issue with uh, computers that... Uh, we might have to be concerned about. You listen to Get Connected brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Meetings are important for every business. They allow you to close deals faster, problem solve better, create new opportunities. But airfare and hotels are expensive, and just commuting across town takes so much time. That's why I highly recommend Citrix GoToMeeting. It's the best, most efficient way to meet with clients and coworkers from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. With GoToMeeting, you can meet online as often as you like. It's easy. You just click a link, turn on your webcam, and you're instantly connected to your team. They'll see your screen on their screen so you can review documents in real time while seeing each other in HD. That's high-definition video. GoToMeeting allows you to cut out the wasted time and expense of travel without losing that personal touch of meeting in person. I've been traveling myself uh, over the past week, and I've been using that religiously for meetings uh, not only with uh, my staff here back in Vancouver, but also clients uh, as well. Start your free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting today. Visit GoToMeeting.ca. That's GoToMeeting.ca for your free 30-day trial. You're back with Get Connected. We're open line, taking your tech calls and questions, 604-280-9898. Long distance, 1-877-399-9898. Before we get back to the... uh, the phone lines, uh, shell shock, software bug. What's this all about, Annie? It's it's funny. This is a a bug that was went undiscovered for twenty two years. It was basically written in this program called Bash, which was first uh, written in nineteen eighty seven. Believe it or not, and it's uh, built into more than seventy percent of the compu- computers that are connected to the internet today. And basically what this bash program does is it's an, it interprets different commands from a user. I think around 1992, some other programmer was, was working with, with bash. And this is open source kind of program. People that do this, they do it for kicks, believe it or not, just for the fun of it. And um, there's a little bug in there that allows it to become actually a bigger threat than Heartbleed, which we talked about a couple of months ago. Heartbleed could actually steal your passwords from a server, but with Shellstock, you could actually take over the entire machine because it's built right into that program. That's one of the foundation programs built on most computers today that connect to the Internet. So the interesting thing about this whole thing, Mike, is when these white hats, these hacker security guys, the good guys, find these bugs, 
they need to notify the companies to put a patch out. But at the same time, they don't want the hackers to know because they could exploit it between the time that a patch is made. And that's basically what happened over here. All the companies are providing patches now for Shellshock, but it is it, it could actually do a lot of damage if it was getting into the wrong hands. So if you are concerned about it, do check online. I think there's a script, and I'll look over this during the break, about how you can find out if your computer needs a patch for shell, shell shock. It's hard to say if you try to say that. Like shell, shock. shell shock. Shell <laughs> But uh, yes, it is, a, it is a, big, a big bug out there. 22 years went undiscovered, which, which kind of seems surprising, but because it was so long ago, that you pe- people just don't, or programmers at least, don't come across this because they're thinking about the newer stuff that might have bugs. But this was from way back, 1987. Like, I don't even know if the internet was used by consumers back then. More like around 94, 95, it yeah. really came on the scene. So Interesting stuff. Well, we'll be keeping you uh, abreast of this uh, story as we uh, learn more about it and what you can do to protect yourself. Going to jump here to the phone line, 604-280-9898. We're open line here on Get Connected. One eight seven seven three nine 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 eight nine eight is the toll free line. I'm gonna jump here to uh, Ted. How are you doing, Ted? Hi. How are you doing, guys? Good. Uh, beautiful morning here in Vancouver. It sure is. However, um, I have an Adobe Flash Player problem. Okay. Um, it's Firefox and Windows Explorer, and I'm using Windows Seven. Now, what I've done, just to let you know, is I've reinstalled Firefox, reinstalled Windows Explorer. Uh, reinstalled uh, Adobe Flash Player. Looking on the internet, this is uh, almost epidemic. And what happens is the the Adobe Flash Player will either crash or stall uh, the loading of uh, either Firefox or Windows Explorer. Um, have you any uh, ideas? Do you, are, do, are you familiar with this one? Uh, no, I haven't heard that one. So you're saying it uh, slows down the browser loading up? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, then you'll get a screen uh, um, uh, come on that says um, Adobe, the Flash Player uh, cannot load. Do you want to continue or disconnect? And that's, uh, re- you know, every, say, six, six times out of ten. Yeah. Now, is it only for specific sites that you're visiting or just when you open up your browser? Uh, g- generally for sites I'm visiting. When you open up the browser, it, it doesn't seem to be a problem. But um, and it, I, I'm talking about many sites, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do 20 sites, and uh, it seems to be universal through them all. And these sites that you're visiting, are they Flash-based sites or HTML5? <laughs> you don't know the difference? Um, I think that they must be Flash-based because um, the reason is the, uh, the Adobe pulls up all the... Uh, uh, the video and, and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And um, it ev- will eventually pull them up on those sites. So I'm presuming that it, they must be Flash-based. Yeah, I haven't heard of this particular problem. I, I know sometimes Flash, the Flash player has caused me problems in the past. Uh, obviously, it sounds like you're doing the right thing. Uh, you always want to make sure you're getting the updates for not only the browser, uh, but the Flash Player, Adobe Flash Player, to make sure you have the latest version. Uh, and, of course, with some of the browsers, it's kind of a plug-in, so you've got to make sure that you've got the, the latest plug-in for that. Um, I, I don't have any quick solutions. Uh, it sounds like you've reinstalled stuff. Um, you know, I've in the past, I've uninstalled Flash Player and reinstalled it, and that's worked for me. But But the thing is, Mike, the fact that he's having it on two browsers makes me 
think that it might be Flash itself. There's yeah. got to be something with Flash. One thing you might want to try, I know that you're getting the latest Flash update, is go one version back. Maybe it could be that that version is, is a little bit buggy. So go one step back and see if that might help you. Otherwise, try another browser. Try uh, Internet Explorer and see if that helps. I know it was more Flash-friendly in the past, so it could uh, work better than than Chrome and Firefox. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. It's that time. App of the Week with Christina. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Do, 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 do. God, I love that little. It's your favorite jingle, eh? It's my favorite jingle. Mike and Andy here back with Get Connected. It's that time of the week. App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Thanks for coming in the studio. What do, we, what do you got for us today? I have Swipe for iOS. Oh, yes. So, uh, Previously, iOS did not allow third-party keyboards, so we didn't have the option of having swipe or swift key or anything for all the exciting. IPhone, all, for all the iPhone users. You mean, you mean the exactly. things that us Android users have had this whole time? Yeah, you know what, Andy? <laughs> you and your Android high horse. Um, yeah, so swipe is actually now available on iOS, so with iOS 8, They've now allowed third-party keyboards, and now we can type more efficiently, those of us who are on an iPhone. I, I downloaded it, actually. Did you? Yes. <laughs> uh, it is amazing. It's just so cool. Like, But even the keyboard in I, that comes stock with iOS 8 is pretty good in yeah. itself. But Swipe, uh, it, it's awesome. It's, it's really cool to be able to you know add in these additional keyboards now. Yeah, so what Swipe does for those of you who have never heard of it before, it is a gesture-based keyboard. So instead of having to tap each letter, you can actually swipe your finger along your keyboard and it will predict what word you're trying to type. Um, The nice thing about Swipe is that it also keeps the predictive text part of iOS 8, which gives you a few options of different words that are around that same spelling. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool little keyboard. It makes things way more efficient than ta- tapping each uh, each individual letter. It's cutting edge technology here, Andy. Not really. You Android guys should get on this. No, <laughs> Android Android us Android folks have already had this, and you know I'm, I feel happy that you can finally have the same experience that we've been having on Android for all this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, how, <laughs> how much is it? So it's ninety nine cents from the App Store. And it's swipe, S-W-Y-P-E. In case you can't find it. Just in case you can't find it. That's right. Well, thank you very much. Andy, what's the contest again this week? We're giving away the SanDisk Ultra USB drive. It allows you to easily move files from your Android smartphone or tablet to your computer to help you free up space for music, photos, or HD videos. Just go to our website, www.getconnectedmedia.com, to enter and win. And we, of course, have some past contests that might still be open, so you want to enter those while you're there. www.getconnectedmedia.com. You've been using uh, the new Motorola phone for a while now? Yes. Uh, it's funny. Like, everybody has like ruled out Motorola, but um, I think they have fantastic phones right now. Their, last year, they had this one phone called the Motorola E. Yeah. It was their best-selling phone of all time. And think of how long Motorola's been around. It was um, about a month ago. I was in Chicago for the release of their new phones. And I was in the lobby. where We were going to go to a baseball game. And they said, meet at the lobby, and we'll all go and get on this bus. So I'm sitting there, 
And it's like everyone's speaking Portuguese. And I'm like, am I at the wrong place? But it turns out that they had invited so many people from Brazil because that's one of the biggest markets for Motorola right now. They're second in smartphones just behind Samsung down in Brazil. So they uh, they still have a big market share. And their newest phones are fantastic. If, you've, if you're looking for a great phone, the Motorola Moto X or the Moto E are fantastic phones. And you can get them unlocked as well for the for I know at least for the Motorola E very affordable price and it can do probably 90% of what you could do on an iPhone but for more than half less than half the price I still like my iPhone 6 what I really like though was the uh, Samsung Galaxy Alpha phone that we were seeing that is that was that's a nice looking that's phone. probably one of the nicest looking Android phones I've ever come across it looks and feels like an iPhone but it has Android inside. <laughs> it's like the best of both worlds. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny that they're making it look like an iPhone? But what's interesting is compared to the iPhone 6, it's actually thinner. So one of the people were like, wow, the iPhone 6 is so thin. The iPhone 6, if I remember, is 6.9 millimeters thick. Yeah. The Samsung Galaxy Alpha is 6.7 millimeters Ooh. thick. So 0.2. It, and it just feels great in the hand. It's super light. Um, I'm going to actually uh, give it a test drive for about two weeks. But uh, It's hard I'm, being you, Andy. It's tough, yes. I'm, a, I'm like a phone hobo. I just jump from one phone to another, or a phobo. <laughs> a phobo. <laughs> That's right. Well, I want to thank all the folks that helped put Get Connected together. Andy Brewer, my co-host and producer, Christina Sarinova, our app, app girl, and the rest of the Get Connected team back at the office uh, as well. And, of course, uh, Luke on the controls. And thank you for listening this week. This is Mike, Andy, and Christina logging off. We'll see you again next time. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.